friend, and welcome to the U-Turn Podcast. This is your host, Ashley Stahl. I'm a career expert, a speaker, and a best-selling author of the book, U-Turn. Get unstuck, discover your direction, design your dream career. I wrote the U-Turn book and created this podcast to help you reconnect to who you truly are at your core. And that's why every single week I bring on a guest with the intention of helping you upgrade your confidence in work and in love. I'm also so excited to say that this episode has been sponsored in part by our friends over at Soul CBD. This is the only CBD company I have come to trust with my wellness, and they have a brand new product line that is just relief, and I've been dying to share it with you. One of my all-time favorites has quickly become their new Happy Gummies. It's H-A-P-P-I, Happy Gummies. These little gummy friends are infused with kava kava to soothe anxiousness, green tea to improve your energy and a special blend of ingredients to help boost your mood to reduce your stress your restlessness your insomnia and of course it's in the sweetest and the tastiest of ways so your friends at soul cbd have given us a discount code for money off of your order it's 15 percent off if not more depending on the week so just head on over to ashleystall.com slash soul. That's A-S-H-L-E-Y-S-T-A-H-L dot com slash S-O-U-L to access our special page with them. And don't forget to use the code U-Turn, Y-O-U-T-U-R-N at checkout. Now let's get into this week's episode. just succumbing to this idea that our finances are a lifelong journey. And we also have different stages. So even if I get the hang of something and then now there's a new thing to deal with or a new level up financial adulting. So I think if we shift our mindset to just know that it's kind of like in life, you know, with your relationships and your personal development, it's, it's the money is the same. It's not ever going to be a check the box. U-turn friends, you know me. I don't always have the same person on the podcast very often. And when I do, it's because they're amazing. So you probably heard me talk to Ashley Feinstein Gersley way back when about all of my debt and money messes that I made for myself. And ever since I've cleaned them up, it's so fun to have her back on the show. She's now the author, in addition to her book, Money Cleanse, now she has a book called Financial Adulting, which feel like all of us really could use some of that. So she's a money coach. She's the founder of Fiscal Femme. And we are going to talk today about how to debunk and understand your credit score, um, how to revisit debt, since we already talked to her about that. And also money and love goals, um, you know, how to navigate stress with your partner and so much more. So without further ado, um, Ash, welcome back to the show. Thank you. I love coming on your show. I'm a big fan. and. Thank you for that wonderful intro. You know, it's so funny because I just never forget you because you're one of like four people I remember in 2011 or 2012, like having a coaching business before it was a trend, you know? So I'm very yes. excited. We're like the originals. I know I I sometimes think about it. I'm like, I feel like like it was such a different, such a different world back then. I remember like being like, oh, this is, I'll make up this thing called a money coach. Yeah. <laughs> now it's like very popular. Isn't it just crazy? Like time just flies. So I know that you wrote one book and now another. Um, what inspired you to write the second one? That is such a great question. So the first book, The 30-Day Money Cleanse, is all about budgeting and money mindset. So very much like the flows of money, having a good relationship, feeling good about what you're spending on. It's 
a fun workbook, colorful, but I was inspired to have something that's more of a, a guide on any personal finance topic. So maybe you're not in a place where you want to have life insurance, but it's something you can come back to when it's time or you're not ready to buy a home, but you can come back to. And so I view it as this guide you can read through once and then reference it when your friends have questions, when you have questions. I, I also, in my book, my first book, it was all from my perspective and you know, I've been learning, growing, still doing a lot of that. And I realized that a lot of my personal finance stories and experience were coming from a very privileged perspective. And so I was really excited in this book to highlight a lot of different voices from different backgrounds, races and ethnicities and cultures and economic backgrounds and expertises. And um, so I interviewed 35 people for this book. And it also is part expose, which is um, you know, it's a, I want to say quote unquote fun because it's the things I'm exposing are not fun. They're issues with our financial systems, but so it's, it's like part how very much a how to with lots of amazing experts with this slight expose feel to it. Mm, Okay. Well, so when it comes to financial adulting, like I think it, it, you know, I remember it blew my mind ages ago when people said, it's not about how much money you make. It's about how you manage your money. And it becomes more and more true for me as I get older. And so I know that partnership, like one of the number one predictors of divorce is financial stress or one of the number one reasons. So what do you think happens when it comes to money and partnership um, that translates into that? And then of course, I have so many questions about credit scores. I don't understand those at all. Yes. Oh, I'm so excited. And I love, I think that's something we talked about last time too. It's like this idea, we think we can out earn it, but you can't like then you can always spend more. And um, so I, I love that the advice you got about that. It's about managing it. Um, so if you think about all the things we have going on in our money lives um, as individuals, like the things we have working against us that we never learned about it, that we can't talk about it, that it's really emotional. We might have ask questions to a parent growing up and they're like, no, we don't talk about that. You know, whatever happened to us, that's us as individuals. And that's difficult enough. But then when you combine that with another human as in a partnership, and then you're both coming at it with all your own stuff, um, that's when it can get really stressful. And so my, my entire view on what personal finance should be is non-judgmental, like a lot of empathy for ourselves and grace for ourselves and learning from our mistakes. I think we might think like a financial adult is someone who knows everything and never makes mistakes, but it's actually not what it is. It's someone who just shows up and takes small, consistent actions every week. And that leads to big results. And I think we can bring that non-judgment, non-shame, really trying to understand where the other person's coming from to our relationships with um, around money and, and also know it's, it's can get messy. It probably will. Um, it's not going to be perfect, but that you just keep, it's a lifelong journey to navigate money with a partner. <laughs> yeah, I believe it. Okay. And, you know, I, I tend to notice that there's the saver and the spender in most relationships. It seems to pan out that way. Would you agree that that's the case? And if so, what are some suggestions you have for those conversations, especially when someone's dating, let's say they're not even in a marriage yet, and they want to make sure that this doesn't become a marital issue or something like that. Yes. So I agree. So I tend, I noticed there typically is a saver and a spender and we tend to polarize each other. So 
when if you would just imagine as a spender with a saver, um, it might if if you're feeling restricted by their saving, you might become more spendy and the person who is spending might have the saver feel more savvy. So we can polarize each other in that way. I think so. A few things I find money parties. Well, also, this is if you are in a relationship where you are talking about money together, if you're just dating, um, I can talk about that too. And you're, you're just navigating if this person is how financially savvy are they? Um, but when we have conversations, like, like, let's say I'm really triggered because my husband spent more or he bought something, right? And really sharing instead of like the snap reaction that you're upset about it, but sharing why that upsets you can be really powerful. Like I have, maybe it's like, I have a, I'm worried that we're not going to be able to save for our goals, or I'm worried we're not going to get to go on this trip or that we're going to be in debt, like sharing the, or this happened with my parents and it's triggering that for me. So really getting to sharing deeply why something bothers us can help them have more empathy for why we're having such a strong reaction, especially if they've come from such a different place where that doesn't bother them. Mm-hmm. So I think, and I think also compartmentalizing conversations can be helpful instead of um, anytime a bill comes in or it pops in your head to talk about it. If it's something that's really stressful, I recommend talking about anything that's not urgent. Of course, if you're hacked or something, talk about that right away. But if it's not urgent, save it for time you set aside to talk about money for a money party. So you can really set the stage, set the intention to come at it in a kind way and talk through these things versus like you're running out the door and you're like, I can't believe you did that. You know. Hey, U-Turners, this episode is sponsored in part by our friends over at Athletic Greens. And what I love the most about them is that their products are not only carbon neutral, but they taste amazing. I started taking Athletic Greens because I really wanted to get all the nutrients and vitamins possible in one swoop. And I just couldn't bring myself to drink all those green vegetable smoothies that taste like the grass. So I wanted something that actually tastes good and was perfect for me. And I've been on Athletic Greens for a few weeks now, and I am just loving it. It doesn't taste like it's super healthy. You know, it has kind of a mild tropical taste that I actually look forward to every morning. And with one scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. So this really special blend of ingredients is so supportive for your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, anti-aging, all the things. Right now, it is so time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially as we're in flu and cold season. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. I even throw mine in my smoothie. So to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash U-turn. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash Y-O-U-T-U-R-N to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And they're giving one year of vitamin D that is so insane with your first order. I'm so excited for you to check it out. Now let's get back to this week's episode.
And then in relationships, yeah, it's really interesting because it's some people are really comfortable bringing up money conversations early on. Others feel uncomfortable doing that, but there are ways I think to, if you're looking for it, um, you can have, get little hints into spending behavior and even things like not necessarily are they um, great at budgeting, but even like, how are they tipping? You know, are they, do they feel like they have a generous spirit or um, how those type of things too, I think can, can say a lot. Um, And you can also just ask, you know, and I think something that keeps us from talking about money is that we feel like if we're going to talk about money, we have to share how much debt we have, how much we earn, like what our numbers are, but you can talk more generally too about goals and things that matter to you and trade-offs you make. For example, that's a an interesting conversation to have with someone like, this is worth it to me. This isn't. Um, and even if you know partners are not always going to have the same things worth it to them, but it just gives you a, a little perspective into how they think about it and approach those trade-offs. Mm, okay. And do you have any opinion on... I don't know, like if there's two spenders together and, you know, instead of saying this is what I spend on and this is what I don't, you have two people that think most things are worth spending on, let's say. Um, What would be like some concerns or other angles to the conversation just given that situation? Well, so if like, if you're, you mean if you like, let's say I'm a spender and I know that I'm in a relationship with a spender, like how to actually approach that. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because I think even if there's two spenders, there will be one who's like the more savvy spender (laughs) because of the, just the relationship, it will end up being like that. Um, but I think, you know, in all relationships, especially you do not have to combine finances in any particular way, but it's really helpful to to just have clarity on where money is going. So like knowing, especially as you're getting further along in the relationship, like what is coming in for each of you? What is going out? What are your joint expenses? What are your individual expenses? I think also something that can really ground those of us who are have more spending tendencies is to focus on what we want. And those are fun partner conversations to have. Like, what are we creating? What do we want to what do we want our financial goals to be? And they don't all have to be together, but some of them can be. And even if the ones that are not together, that I have my separate financial goals, that can motivate me to, to have the budget. And um, I do think budgets get a bad rap that you know they're all about restriction and not spending. But when we know what's coming in and what's going out, we can actually decide consciously to spend money on things that are important to us. And have the peace of mind and know that we can, we can, it's workable and it's not going to cause financial stress or take away from something else. So it, it budgets can also be a tool to allow you to spend guilt-free. <laughs> I love that. And I'm, I'm also, you know, I can't help but ask, you know, around investing. Like, I think that it's kind of just like budgets are kind of like a word that makes people kind of shut down sometimes. I think mm-hmm. investing can too, especially according to the research with women. So is there any low hanging fruit advice you have for somebody listening who has a little like itch to scratch and wants to get off this podcast today and make their first like investment or, um, I don't know, something that feels approachable. Like, do you have any recommendations there? Cause I know we're in a time where we hear about Bitcoin and this and that, and it, it can be really overwhelming for people. 
Yes. And what's, what's so cool about this book is that every topic gets a chapter. So investing kind of gets two because there's a retirement investing and then investing for good, just investing outside of retirement. But I, my first draft was double what it was supposed to be. And I had to like really cut on every chapter, the entire book. And I really had to cut down on and be like, if I had to say, this is what I think you need to know about investing. This is it. Um, and I, and I talk about in there and you mentioned it, that women are investing less and people of color are investing less. And studies show that women are actually better investors when they do invest, like multiple studies, because they are um, doing more research, they're trading less and trading can be costly as far as fees and also just in taxes. So anyway, I think investing is a really important part of building wealth. And I agree that it is um, something that can seem really scary and daunting. It's, it's a, a culture and a system that is not made to be approachable by design so that we feel like we have to, to pay people to help us with it and that we can't do it ourselves. But I, you know, I was able to break it down in a chapter. So I promise that this is something that, um, that you can understand and do. So I would say some long hanging fruit, um, understanding that investing language is just that it's like jargony, but it is a language. So over time you'll become more familiar with it. Um, I would say also that a few things, definitely you can set aside money to learn how to invest no matter what. So let's say you're like, I'm going to take a hundred dollars and I'm going to use it to actually invest and learn. Um, I think that's great. We learn by doing, and you can read books on it and you can talk about it, but until you're actually doing it, it's, there's a different type of experiential learning that happens. That being said, I'm a big fan and believe that we should be investing for the long term. So we don't we want to we want to have a few boxes checked before we put a lot of our savings or any savings really towards investing outside of this money we're setting aside to learn. So saying if you don't have these boxes checked, you still can set aside money and and learn so that when you do have them checked, you're ready to go. So we want to have some rainy day fund cash set aside. Um, if you get 401k matching from your company, you want to maximize that, which is investing, but it's specifically in your 401k, just because that is, um, that is essentially free money or part of your compensation. Um, and then paying off high interest credit card debt, just because the interest rates on high on credit cards are, you know, in the 20, 25% range, and that's historically higher than what you would get by investing in the market. Um, and then prioritizing retirement too, because re retirement accounts like an IRA or a 401k, they have great tax advantages. So investing in those vehicles, um, and it's also, you know, it's it's a big goal to save for retirement. So some of those boxes, but I'd say the big ones are having the rainy day fund, um, having the 401k matching, and then also the high interest credit card debt paid off before meaningfully putting a lot of money towards investing. Um, and then as far as like how to actually do it, I'm a huge fan of making it easy. And the cool part is research shows that the easy way is, is usually the way that wins out as far as financial gain as well. But I invest in low fee funds um, that are diversified, which means you're invested in a lot of industries, different companies, um, countries even, and geographies. So you're if something happens at one specific company, it's not going to derail your, your investments. And so that's why 
when you talked about um, investing in Bitcoin or investing in Tesla, for example, like that will not be me investing in a specific company. I'm investing in these funds where you're invested in um, a bunch of things at once. The other thing I'd say is one of the things that I think makes investing scary is the risk and this idea of risk and that we work really hard for our money and we work hard to save it. Like we don't want to lose it. And I I include some charts in the book to show, but there can be big drops, for example, like in 2008 or even in March um, with COVID, with the pandemic. But if you zoom out and look at the long term, like the last, even like if you waited a year after um, the Great Recession or now, even after the pandemic, like the stock market historically has always come back. And so it's being able to just wait out those drops. Um, and the risk looks very different when you're invested in a bunch of different companies, not one specific company, and you're investing for the long term and you have time to wait out those dips. So that those are kind of like the big, the big brush strokes, I'd say. <laughs> okay, great. And you talk about these funds, which I know can kind of, kind of sound general for people listening if they're not very familiar. Where do you recommend they go to make that sort of investment? Is there one company that you work with more than another? Just curious on that front. Are you tired of attending meeting after meeting? Meetings are filled with way too many people who need to be quote unquote in the loop. And it's getting harder to be heard or recognized for your contribution and your ideas. Your calendar is probably jam-packed and you're burnt out on meetings. And so is everyone else. Recently, I started using Loom, which is a video messaging platform for my work. So on Loom, I can record my computer screen, my camera, or both and explain a workflow or ask a series of questions and send that content off to my team to review it when they're free. Hello, less meetings. This tool has been such a savior for my company and for me and my work when it comes to productivity and just saving everyone time. All you have to do is hit the record button on Loom and instantly share the video with a link of your screen. You want to have time to think, create, and do great work. You want to share your ideas and feel a personal connection with your team. And of course, you want to have control of your calendar. That's why I am so excited to be partnering with Loom here today. Loom lets you say more in less time so you can get back to the work that you truly love. I love this app so much. I spoke with Loom and they're gifting you a free 14-day trial of their business plan, which is unlimited creator seats, videos, recording length and you can even remove filler words with one single click their technology will do that so simply visit ashleystall.com slash loom for the special offer again that's ashleystall a-s-h-l-e-y-s-t-a-h-l.com slash l-o-o-m now let's get back to this week's episode yeah so essentially to not get into too many of the definitions but a fund is an investment that invests in a bunch of companies and there's tons of them. Like there's, this is why also with investing, there can be such analysis paralysis. So I think it's important to know some key things and do some research, but then kind of take action because you'll, there's new funds every day. You can't know them all, but um, essentially I invest in funds that mimic an index. So it's not actually humans choosing the investments typically um, in the ones I choose. And they are low fee. So meaning like 
0.08% expense ratio or 0.25% expense ratio, depending on the type of fund. Um, and there are all kinds of, there's numerous brokerage companies. There are different apps now. I think the key, um, in the, in the book, I break down like how to research them and what to look into, but I, the keys of things you want to have very like no fees and that's easy to get these days back when we were starting out that was not a thing always um so you had to navigate things differently um so you can find lower no fees low minimums or no minimums on the accounts read reviews um do people like if you prefer to do chat with questions do they have a chat feature or do you always have to be on the phone or do you prefer phone what are their hours for customer service um, if you prefer to invest on an app, how is the app rated? So those type of things. Um, but for example, the S and P 500 is a, is often used as a proxy for the stock market. And it's the, it's the largest 500 companies in the U S. Mm. And so by investing in one share of an S and P 500 index, you are investing in all 500 companies for $100 or $200, which is pretty, really cool. Um, but each of these brokerage firms like Fidelity, Vanguard, TD Ameritrade, they, they all have their own version of that fund. Mm-hmm. So depending on if you already have um, an account with someone, that could be a reason to, oh, if my retirement's already there, I'll, and they have a great account option, I can keep it all in one place. Mm, okay. And Okay, now we have to debunk credit scores, which to me feel like an enigma. Um, What, if somebody's listening right now and they're kind of, you know, maybe they don't check their score, what would you have to say about that? And can you give everyone kind of a bar for like, what do these different ranges mean? And where should we try and get? What can we do? All that kind of stuff. Yes. Okay. So credit scores, it's a very imperfect model. And there it's been shown to have like racial and gender bias just because of all the um, the issues. So I would, I'd say the first thing to debunk is that it is not a measure of your financial health. It is something that lenders use to say how risky it is to lend us money or how likely we are to pay them back. It's also, I, I didn't know this until I, I did some research, but 29% of employers check your credit score before hiring you. Um, landlords can check it. Insurance companies, especially around like car insurance, it can be used to price your policy. So if your credit score increases, you can call up your your car insurance company and say, "Hey, my credit score went up. Can you decrease my premium?" Um, so it's it's something that's used often and is important. Um, I'm trying to think of the. You said, "Oh, the ranges." Okay, yeah. so you'd think that there is one universal credit score that we're all judged by, but there's actually a bunch, unfortunately. Um, The most common in the US is the FICO score and the runner-up is the Vantage score for most common. Um, But even if, for example, if you're getting a mortgage with a large lender, they might run their own form of a credit score and FICO has like eight models. So someone who's running your credit might be using a different model than the current. But the good news is, is they typically view the same things as positive. Um, So when you're navigating to improve your credit score, you're generally improving it across all of the credit scores. Okay. Um, Yes. And so I can dive in the FICO since it's the most common, we can talk about what makes that, what makes up that score. 
Um, but the quickest way actually to increase your score is to check your free credit reports. So every year we have access to credit reports that are from the three credit agencies. They are Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion. And they the credit report doesn't have your credit score. It's the it's just the information that is used by credit scoring companies to make your credit score. So the information in there is important. And one in five of them has errors. Mm. And so if sometimes an error is no big deal, like they got an old address wrong or something, but sometimes, and I had a client once who someone else's loan was on her credit report. And if that person's not paying on time and she's getting credit, like pun intended, discredited because they're not paying their loan on time, then it's impacting her score and she's not even doing anything. Oh, wow. Um, yes. So you can you can dispute any errors online now with the, with the agencies. Um, it can be a pain and there are credit repair companies that can also help. They can't take anything off your report that is real, but anything that's wrong, they can help you navigate... Um, those systems. So that's so reading those free credit reports, you can get them at annualcreditreport.com and read through each of them. Um, and then finding your credit score. So there's a lot of credit card companies now are putting your score on your statement. So a lot of people are getting it that way. You can also pull them for free from Credit Karma or Credit Sesame. And there's also um, paid paid um, sites like MyFICO and Identity IQ that offer credit score and tips to get it up for a fee. Um, and the score can range, I'd say. So the score goes from 300 to 850, the higher, the better. Um, and each... Like depending on what you need your score for is what is, it's typically ranging from poor to fair to good, very good and excellent. And um, again, it does not feel good if it, if you see that you are poor or even fair. Um, but I think it is a score. It's not perfect. And over time we can work to improve it. Mm. Okay. And what are some of the different things that you think people don't know that they're doing? Well, a couple questions. One, you talked about like being able to call um, different things that you use like insurance and say like my credit score went up. Can you adjust this? So can you give us some insight on what are, what are some of those key things that people could do to save money now if their credit score goes up? And then secondly, um, can you tell us a little bit more about like what are some of the things that are calculated in the credit score or weighed? Um, you know, and if somebody wants to buy a home and, you know, get a car lease and all these things, they're thinking about their credit score. Like what are some little things that we can do for big results? Yes. So the, it takes time to get your score up typically. And, um, depending on, you know, if there's a big error that you get removed, great. But so the earlier, if you know, you need your credit for something, the earlier you start taking these actions, the better. Um, as far as the benefits of getting your score up or who you could call, it's really anyone who's lending you money or um, insurance companies. So for example, if your score increases, you could use that as an opportunity to negotiate an interest rate because when there's different charts you can look up, but for they'll, you can get an idea of, okay, if my interest, if my credit score is at 
this level, this is the interest rate that I'll be offered on a mortgage. And you can see how that changes as your score goes up. So refinancing could be an option um, if your score goes up a lot and you and you have a certain interest rate or calling up um, insurance companies and telling them as well are ways to save money. I think two big myths that are really important to debunk are there's this myth that I hear a lot, a common misconception that if you check your credit score, it will go down. Mm. And I hear it a lot. And so you actually can check your credit score as much as you want and it will not oh, improve score. Great. And where do you suggest is the best place to check? Because I noticed that different ones have different um, prices, if that makes sense, or not different prices, sorry, different numbers. And so it's like, how do you actually decide what your credit score is when there's so many different numbers that you're seeing when you look at different sources? Usually they, they will be different, um, but they will not be, you'll kind of get a ballpark of, and because lenders are using all different scores, like if you look at your credit score on Credit Karma, the lender might have a different score for you. So it, it's more of a general, and this is, I think, one of the problems with the system. Like I should know, we'll talk about what makes up your credit score, but I should be able to know if I close a credit card, how that will impact my score. There's a model there. Our score, we don't actually know. <laughs> or like like you said, we don't know what the lender is going to see versus what we're going to see, or if I'm on two different services. So I generally think like anytime something is so murky as this, it's really not to the benefit of us. Um, and so it, that's, I think, one of the problems with this whole credit system. But I think where that misconception comes from about checking your score is that if let's say I'm taking out a loan or getting a credit card, the lender will agree and they have to get your permission to do it. And when they do that, that can ding your score for up to a year and it will stay on your credit course report for two years. Yes. Yeah, so two free places to check your credit score are Credit Karma and Credit Sesame. Okay, great. And um, let's say that somebody is not thrilled with their score. What are a couple of like big win things that you consider that they can do to just get started on a different path with improving their credit score? Yes. Okay. So to, to talk about how to increase our score, it's helpful to understand the makeup of it. So 35% of our credit score is determined by our payment history. So if we are making on-time payments on our debt um, and our credit. So when we don't make on-time payments, it impacts it depending on how late it was, how much the payment was for, how often it's happening, how recent it was. So I'd say the biggest thing people can do is make on-time payments, which does not mean you have to pay off your credit card in full each month. It just means you have to pay that minimum payment by the payment date. Um, setting up automatic payments, if we tend to forget, can be a great way to make sure that happens. And then the next largest factor in our credit score is amounts owed, which is 30% of our score. And this is takes into account how much we owe across all types of debt, like our credit cards, car loans, student loans, personal loans. And a big part of this amounts owed is our credit utilization. So our credit utilization is taking you take the total balances on your cards, add them up and divide it by your total limits. So it's kind of a fancy way of saying how much of your credit cards are you using? And when this is lower, it's viewed as better. Like we're not overextending, we're not maxing out our credit cards. Um, so 
in order to use this knowledge to increase our score, we can make plans to pay off our debt, right? That's one way to decrease that amount owed. Um, if you do pay off your credit card every month, instead of waiting till the end of the month to pay it off, you can pay it off more frequently. So even if you pay off your credit card every month, that doesn't mean that your amounts owed will be zero because it's it, it matters at what point the credit agency is checked to see what your balance is. So if we're paying it off more frequently, like every two weeks or every week, it will never get to that, to the monthly amount. Mm, mm, okay. And, and oh, go ahead. Sorry. One more of that is the other thing. And it's, I would just put a major warning with it that it only do this if it won't have you spend more money, but you can also negotiate your credit limits up to make that ratio smaller. Oh, interesting. So that's kind of an unexpected benefit of getting your credit ratio higher. Exactly. And then for like, let's say your your score is at a point where you can't open a credit card, for example, you can open a secured credit card um, because opening a credit card, if you don't have one, can help your score. Again, there's definitely want to understand how credit cards work and use it in a way that's not going to cause more financial stress. But if you're unable to open one, you can open a secured card, which essentially is an agreement with the bank where let's say you want your, you get a secured car with, with a hundred dollar limit. You typically have to put up cash for that limit and you start to build that relationship and build your credit and work up to having a credit card. Um, and the other thing you can do is if you have someone in your family or a friend that can, can add you as an authorized user on their credit card to build your credit, knowing that if they don't make on-time payments or if you don't make on-time payments, then you're impacting each... You're kind of tied to each other's credit now. <laughs> so that I think you want to make sure only doing that with someone you really trust financially. Got it. Okay. Um, and obviously I can't have you on without asking you about debt even further. Um, as you were writing this book, did you have any new thoughts about debt beyond, I know our episode, we just talked about like mindset and like different steps to take to pay off debt. Um, but has there been anything present for you ever since you wrote this particular book? It's a great question. So I feel like, um, definitely the steps to pay it off are really important. Um, I focused more on, specifically letting go of debt shame and understanding like debt is just money you owe for something you bought. And I think that's really important. Um, I, so understanding kind of what that point in your life was like and why it happened and given everything we have working against us, why that, that might happen. Um, I don't know if something uh, in addition to the plan, but something that, um, I find is really helpful when paying down debt is using a cash tracker. Mm -hmm. And this kind of answers, helps to answer the question, like how much can I put towards my debt? Because I know it feels so good to put money towards it, but sometimes we can have a tendency to put a lot of money towards our debt and then not have money for our expenses and then have to put our expenses on credit cards. And then, then we feel like we're seeing the balances go up and down and up and down. And it feels very, it doesn't feel good. Um, and so a debt tr or a cash tracker is literally tracking, okay, this amount of cash is going to hit my bank account at this time. This is, this is all my expenses that will be coming out. And what do I have room for to put towards my debt? And it can be a much more sustainable number and much clearer what we can actually 
put towards our debt in addition to our monthly payments. Mm, Okay. And um, when it comes to mindset, like I know some people just get used to debt and I've been one of them. So I'm curious, like what feedback do you have for people who are in this constant circle of debt, of hurting their credit score through that? Like what would be your message for them? Oh, that's a great question. I think, you know, I don't, I don't think being, I think that being used to debt is not, I guess it depends on the way you mean, but it is okay. That is, is okay. And I think there are, for example, if someone, there are people have very different relationships to debt. So for example, I have two, if I have two med school graduates and one is like, I am paying this off as fast as possible. And one is like, you know what? This doesn't bother me that much. This is a monthly payment. Now, depending on the interest rate on it, that might not be a problem at all, right? And, and typically you'll hear like, if the interest rate is 7% or higher, it makes sense to prioritize paying off debt over investing. Um, so if it's a lower interest rate, that's less of a big deal. But if you're in that like, it almost feels like a rat race or a hamster wheel of the overspending, the trying to figure out the payments. Um, I would say like definitely compassion for ourselves because I think when we are punishing ourselves, it makes everything worse. Um, And just trying to play detective, like what is happening here and getting clear on the numbers. And I know um, it's no small feat to actually look at where money is going because it, it takes work to look at all the expenses and add them up. And, um, but I think it can be a very eye opening revelation when we, when we see the places that it's going and um, just start digging in of, and looking at what are like, where is this happening? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But trying to do it in a way that we're not, it's, it's more like a detective, like interesting, Yeah, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I hear you. Okay. And um, I don't know, is there anything I haven't asked you that um, you could share that you covered in your book that would just be really valuable insight for anyone listening around money? So I think we, you know, we talked about a bunch of topics, investing, all these different things. And I think a key part of being a financial adult is that you, it's, there's like a humility to it. And I make mistakes all the time. I'm still learning all the time. And I, it's, annoying in that like it's never ending but it's kind of like just succumbing to this idea that our finances are a lifelong journey and we also have different stages so even if i get the hang of something and then now there's a new thing to deal with or a new level up financial adulting so i think if we shift our mindset to just know that okay this is something i'm just always just kind of like in life you know with your relationships and your personal development, it's the money is the same. It's not ever going to be a check the box. And um, so I think that's a very helpful mindset to have and know that no one's like above it. No one's not making mistakes. And the best we can do is just continue to put some love towards our money, dedicate some time. And um, when we do make mistakes, look at them and look at them as non-judgmentally as we can to see, is there something I can do so that this doesn't happen next time? Well, you are such a gem. Where can everybody find your book? Thank you. Um, that you can find my book at financialadultingbook.com. Wonderful. Thanks again for coming on the show again. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. It was so much fun.
you so much for tuning into the U-Turn podcast. And thank you again so much for our sponsors. We are here because of you and to our listeners. Thank you for checking out our sponsors. We always pick people and brands that we trust and we believe in. And just for listening to the show, writing your reviews on the Apple app, and just being willing to make your own U-Turns. We'll see you next week.